Did you happen to see that article where Mariah Carey did? <laughs> what did Mariah Carey do? How did we go to Mariah Carey? Like she did a Prague song or something. I think Craig thinks that Mariah Carey is Prague. He does. Hey, Prague fans. Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Prague Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and as always, I am joined by... Craig. And Lee. We are three friends and Prague aficionados here to talk about the history and the craft of progressive music while sprinkling in our always unvarnished opinions of the music and personalities that make this genre so great. You can find us on Twitter at UP3Show or contact us directly via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. If you can't get enough of us, Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our homepage at up3show.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This makes sure that you never miss an episode and helps other prog fans find the show. All right, guys, it's been a little while. I guess I'll start with you, Craig, because you're right in my line of sight here. What have you been up to recently? There's a pandemic going on, and I feel like I'm busier than I've ever been. And it's it's really starting to get on my nerves. Uh, I got a new, new gig at work, I think I told you guys, and I'm kind of in the fake it till you make it mode, spending a lot of extra time playing with software, which is, uh, it's fun. I mean, I'm enjoying it. Uh, in the music world, I'm trying to get my music studio to the next level. I bought a little digital mixer, partly for the podcast, partly for some comedy stuff I'm doing, and it's just crashed and burned. So I'm fighting with that, fighting with USB drivers and MIDI drivers and levels of mics. And You mean you're going back to the idea that Tony originally gave you? I'm really settling on exactly what you said to do. Oh, I ordered my Scarlet mixer today, and Reaper looks to be the uh, DAW of choice among everybody in the Cord Chrome Facebook group. Um, shout out to the Cord Chrome guys, huh? Facebook group. So you guys know I'm married to a data scientist. She showed me this great chart the other night. It's called a Sankey chart, and it looks like capillaries going left to right, kind of snaking off and branching and then grouping back together. And I looked at that and it was like, that's exactly what I feel like prog rock is. Because over time, you have these bands that split up and get together and new genres pop out and personnel changes. And I said, we should do the ultimate prog database project. I looked online and there actually is a, a really nice prog rock database called Prognosis. Um, so I might reach out to the guy and see if I can borrow his data. That's an amazing idea. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Because it's kind of like what we've been talking about, you know, how John, one genre splits off to another one. Cool. What about you, Lee? Yeah, doing really well. Um, work is crazy busy. Really trying to work on writing some more music. In a planning meeting, we kind of talked about maybe some little interlude kind of pieces in between takes and things like that. And so that's what I've been working on more than anything. I had a couple of synth runs in my head and so I've been trying to get those down and just um, go back to a little more music writing. Ah, cool. And I guess that leaves me, which means that um, I have the unfortunate honor of saying that I have been so slammed at work for the past few weeks that my personal life really hasn't been very exciting. Kind of logging on in the morning for work and then working all day. We were just goofing off here before we started recording. And like that's been the one of the most exciting things I've done in a while, just to hang out with you guys. I really, really missed you guys while I was in my quarantine inside of quarantine. I think one of the, I want to find a project to get back to working on, like a hobby project. Were you doing a thermit? No, I was doing a solid state Mellotron. Yeah, that's right, a Mellotron. How's that, how's that coming? It's not. That's kind of sad. Get back to it. The other project that I really had started and wanted to work on was, I think that this audience will appreciate it, is some really low latency um, audio recording software that's specifically geared towards VO folks. There is some software that exists, but it's Windows and Mac only and not open source, which is always a big thing for me. And I would like it to be like use time sensitive networking and stuff like that so that you could do it over long distances across commodity internet. But I haven't really been able to work on that either. Hopefully, as we get into the holiday season more here, I'll have more time on my hands and can do some more of that. Could time-sensitive networking help the fact that musicians can't play live together over the Ethernet, or is that different? You know, it could, actually. (laughs) And I would love to see more of that. 
one of my favorite bands is Leprous. And over the past couple of months, they've done some live stream concerts. And those are really awesome. But they're really special because they have to figure out a way to get the guys all in the room together. Mm -hmm. And some of these bands that I like, not all of the people are in the same state, let alone the same city. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for them to do live concerts during quarantine. And I think that if we had some more technology to support some of these folks, we might be able to do some of that even when it's non-quarantine times, I think that it could really change how albums are recorded and how albums are mixed and mastered. Like at least turn around some of the latency on it. Cool. So as we always like to do, we like to go around the horn and talk about what we're all listening to. And I guess we'll go in the same order here. I'll start with you, Craig. What have you been listening to recently? I've been listening to Toto, Lee. Yeah? <laughs> do you need a little guidance? Well, no, because I just found some Toto stuff and downloaded it and I just have it on loop. And uh, when I'm not doing anything, it's just on and I'm acquiring the taste, as they say. Wow. It's, it's cool. I'm, I converted. Every now and then, they'll be playing just something hard, intense. Steve Lukather's going nuts. And the poppy Toto sound kind of sneaks in there. Yeah. But, and it's not a bad thing. It's kind of like a signature, if you will, mm-hmm. of their sound. And I'm really enjoying it. You're right. It, um, that sound does creep in. I think I come back to them so much because it reminds me of my stage band days and when I learned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what about you, Lee? What have you been listening to? I have circled back to an album and a band called The Sea Within. Rona Stolt is in it. Daniel Gildenlau, Jonas Ringgold, Marco Miniman. I I think the world of Marco Miniman. I do too, man. I love Marco Miniman. Great drummer. That album actually came out in 2018 before Cruise to the Edge. I listened to it and crammed to get it in before the cruise happened because they were on the cruise. Now I've gone back with a really critical ear because it also has Tom Brislin on keyboards. Last episode, I talked about I was going back to uh, the newest Kansas album, Absence of Presence, mm-hmm. and Tom Brislin's on that. And I've really been having a hard time sort of nailing the Tom Brislin writing style because mm-hmm. he comes from a lot of Yes, where he was a live keyboardist, and also a lot with Camel. Mm-hmm. But I've had a hard time picking up his original stuff. So Nice. What you listening to, Tony? I've been listening to a, a couple of different things. I've mentioned a few minutes ago about the Leprous stuff and the, their live streams, and their live streams have brought me back to really going back to their back catalog, and I've really been enjoying that a lot. Well, I think what I've spent more time listening to recently has been Old Conception. Conception is a band that has recently come back into um, existing quite basically with the reformation of the original lineup um, with Roy Kahn coming back onto the music scene, which I think the entire music scene is richer for it. But it really got me to go back and listen to some of their old work. I am flabbergasted every time I listen to it because of what an amazing lyricist Roy Kahn is. Yeah, I even put this in context with before he joined Camelot and after he joined Camelot. The lyric and songwriting level of Camelot went to a completely different level once Roy Kahn joined to became a, a prominent songwriter. And I think that they're not actually quite there now with Tommy Karavik, but that's a conversation for a different time. I still love Camelot. I just think that Roy Kahn and Camelot was kind of their golden era. And if you haven't tried their new record, just give it a listen. It's a really, really great record. Very cool. That brings us to prog news and, and new releases. Um, do you guys have anything that you wanted to make sure we talked about tonight? I don't know if you guys saw the new Cruise to the Edge uh, lineup was just announced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who are you excited about in this lineup? Weasel Zappa is going to be on there. It's loaded. But ironically, um, Yes is not. They're not uh, listed as a band. Yes said no. Yes said no. Or did they say maybe? <laughs> How long can we stretch this bit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They said perhaps. Marillion, Steve Hackett, Alan Parsons, and Mike Portnoy seem to be the uh, kind of the headliners. Riverside's going to be nice. back. Adrian Blue, Flower Kings. I mean, just it's loaded. Stickmen. And so when is that cruise? April 25th, 2022. Hopefully we are allowed to take cruises again by then. I'm going to start working the cruise to the edge, people. Work the interviews, and we should do a live uh, version of the podcast. Absolutely. We should do a live podcast. You know, I I agree with that. I think that I've seen a couple of live recordings of podcasts, and I think it's a great thing, a great experience. So do I. It would be a great thing, I think, to have the audience right there to to react to. Yep. 
ask questions. We should do it from the British pub room. <laughs> That's a great idea. Because this way, Frost will just Frost prepare. will be. Yeah, you, <laughs> just, <laughs> you can. Yeah, we we can find Frost. Hey, yeah, Jim, coming over here. I want to buy you a drink and uh, talk to you for forty five minutes. That's right. But let's let's try and pencil that in. So, any new releases that you guys are looking forward to or excited about? James LeBreeze announced a new solo album. Uh-huh. There is a new live dream theater called Distant Memories. It was recorded live in London uh, from the Distance Over Time tour. I will probably pass on that because I have score on DVD, and I'm I'm not a huge live fan. But what is it about live that you're not a big fan about, Lee? I don't know. I've just always loved the studio. I just think the studio is such a wonderful place where ideas come together the band darwin i don't know how much you guys know about this band but they are about to go out and do a second album called a frozen war a little bit of an unusual band it's the guitarist darwin that's one word name he's a joe satriani kind of guy Mm -hmm. but this time he's got uh, billy sheehan on bass and simon phillips on drums and i love simon phillips what else has he done that rings a bell He's been a session drummer that's really made the rounds for years and years. He actually was on the last cruise that we didn't go to in a jazz band as well with um, uh, Steve Lukather from Toto. But anyway, Jacko Jackjick has a new album coming out called Secrets and Lies, solo album. I saw that. And he's got a whole bunch of the King Crimson guys with him. He's got Fripp, Gavin Harrison, Tony Levin, Mel Collins. So that's certainly on my list. Uh, Devin Townsend Live. There's a new Empath Live Volume 1 coming out, Craig. Yep. Uh, new McStein and Miniman. Uh, Randy McStein and Marco Miniman. And finally, there's a Riverside Live in Tilburg, Tony. I saw that. And it's from the 2015 tour. So it actually has the original guitarist, Piotr Grzynski, who died tragically a few years ago. So. Yeah, I think that sums up what I was aware of, too. I mean, I don't know if the winter season's going to be kind of light. Like, I think a lot of industry people like to release in the mid-spring and mid-autumn. So we may be rapidly getting past whatever we were going to get for the year. Yep, it seems to be that way. In the past couple of episodes, guys, we have had like one of us lead and talk about something that's near and dear to their heart. And we've talked in the past about some of our infamous text threads about how we we get going and we've got our ever famous unvarnished opinions coming out in our text threads. And tonight we're going to try and capture that energy. We are tonight going to try and, and tackle the enigma. What is Prague? It's going to be like an audio text thread. For those of you that may have tuned in to our live stream of our planning meeting for this, we had no idea what we were going to do. We'll see how that pans out. And this is a big topic. How do we tackle what is Prague? Producing a Prague podcast, you would think this is one of the first topics we would take on. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like the topic is kind of daunting. You know, it's a lot easier to say who's in Prague metal or who's in symphonic metal, but overarching what is Prague, that's a big topic. And it took a while to get to the point where we started asking that question because the three of us have three different views of what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, mine's the 1970 to 1982. Oh, that's Prague and everything else is something else. If Prague is really that broad, our diverse opinions, it's going to be the same thing we see in our audience. At least what I'm hearing you get at, Lee, is that as people listen to this episode, there are going to be points where someone tells one of us or more of us to shut the fuck up that they have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) When we were doing the planning meeting, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, we were talking about Prague and its relationship to music and other things. And we got to the topic of like, one of us asked, so what is art? Right. What the problem is, is how do you define Prague? Is it a reaction to something else like a lot of art is? Like, how do you define different types of architecture? I've got a couple of notes about definitions. Is Prague a noun, adjective, or verb? I think it's an adjective. Definitely an adjective. Okay. Unless it's progly, then it's an adverb. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that was progly done, yes. Oh, that, it could be a verb, yeah. That's prog this song, which is like what Manfred Mann did to uh, Bruce Springsteen songs. He progged that's true. them. Binded by the light. Actually, a bunch of them. Like Spirits of the Night is a I think the way we end up using this, though, a lot commonly in the show is it's an adjective. Prog metal. 
prog rock, prog jazz. Yeah, totally. In the spirit of definitions, what are some characteristics that come to mind for you that start to characterize prog? Every time I think I come up with a rule, I contradict it. Mm. For instance, my, my go-to number one top favorite prog song has got to be Genesis Supper's Ready. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I like it is it's long. It's a bunch of different movements. It's got some virtuoso keyboards like this. There's a lot of virtuosity in Prague. Mm-hmm. Now I say that and I believe that, but then I listen to like Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here. Let me pause you, though. Is that a prog song? I guess that begs the question. If a band is a prog band, and we're looking at something like Pink Floyd, who I think we can agree is kind of a prog band, Mm -hmm. but then you come out with a song like that or Pigs on the Wing on Animals, what do you think? Can we all agree that a prog band will break into different kinds of pieces on an album, classical or folk or jazz or whatever? And that doesn't affect whether they're a quote-unquote prog band. So then is later Genesis not prog? And the answer would be no, they're not. Because they're not playing in a prog style. This is going to be very simplistic, but do you make the dividing line between prog Genesis and non-prog Genesis when Peter Gabriel left? Uh, No. Okay. I make the dividing line between when they sucked and didn't suck. (laughs) (laughs) And when is that dividing line? Uh, That's uh, somewhere around wind and weathering. You mentioned Pink Floyd and how sometimes they record maybe a prog song and sometimes they don't. You know, as I think about my favorite band, Arion, some of the stuff that they do is very proggy. And some of the stuff I listen to, and it's just a straight ahead rock song. Right. But I think overall, they're still a prog group. I agree with that. I think that's kind of the rule. A prog band doesn't do all prog songs. If you take the Genesis example... Maybe one album that isn't proggy doesn't necessarily take them out of the genre for you. Mm -hmm. But if it's the second album and the third album and they keep going in a direction, like We Can't Dance and all that, then you got to say, okay, Genesis has stopped being proggy, right? They're not a prog band. Well, and I think the inverse is probably true, too, with a band like Opeth, for example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or Tool. Yeah. You start as a metal band and turn into a prog band. When you look at the history of Tool, I think most people today consider them very much a prog band. The past several records have very much been prog records. I definitely include Anima in that, but I think they went full bore prog with um, Lateralis. But when you look at their first EP, Opiate, and then Undertow, they are predominantly heavy metal. Um, And if we look at when those albums came out, it was early to slight mid-90s, incidentally, still in the shadow of Queensryche and Operation Mindcrime. In some interviews, the band has said, hey, look, we were a metal band in LA, in a world dominated by Megadeth and Metallica in LA. And we decided when we got signed that we were going to put our hardest, thrashiest songs on the record to get signed. But even on Undertow, you look at the song Flood, It is a long, ambling, building song. It's very much a metal song, so it's a prog metal song, but I would very much say that it's a prog song. You're kind of intimating here that they put their heaviest stuff on to get signed. Mm Mm-hmm. But their real goal eventually was to become prog. I don't even know about that. So that's that's an interesting take. 
the band did shift direction. So the first EP and the first record, they had a different bassist, Paul Damore. He actually left the band because of differing creative visions for the band. And so when Justin Chancellor came in, that's when Anima came out. Oh, right. Very much like I remember when Anima came out. My friend Greg Conley got the record first. Uh, shout out to Greg if you happen to be listening to this. And I remember asking him in the corridor, what is the new record like? And he said, it's very musical. It has notes. Well, I think it's comparing metal to what we now know as prog. Right. So what I would say is that I think that the direction of Tool shifts very quickly. I don't think Anima is completely where Tool will end up as the prog band. Obviously, I think that happens in a lot of Rollins. But I think that bands can shift over time. Well, your Justin Chancellor comment is interesting because Anima is really where you start hearing a lot of that solo bass. Oh my God, yeah. I think the greatest example off of Anima is the intro to 46 and 2. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit further in the song. The whole band comes in, but it's still a bass-dominated sound. You know, there is a lot of bass, even on Undertow, but I think that it really changed with Anima and is obviously very present now. That's kind of like the distinctive tool sound. I also think that there's a lot of drumming in here. And one thing that just occurred to me is that in about the same time frame, that's when Danny Carey started training and studying with Alok Duda, who is a tabla drummer. And he brought a lot of that tabla technique into his drumming for Tool. So if you had to summarize that whole thing as far as what is Prague, or, or, or maybe why is Tool Prague? I think Tool is Prague because of composition and instrumentation and structure. I don't think any of them I would consider virtuoso, except for maybe Danny Carey. And they moved into prog from their earlier metal stuff. And that would be the example you just played is kind of metal, but I guess that would be more prog metal in your mind. I would call that prog metal. I mean, I think that that stacks up against a lot of the other prog metal that I listen to. I could put that shoulder to shoulder with DT for sure. To me, prog and prog rock are two different things. Yes. Prog is a description of this all-encompassing musical style Mm -hmm. that includes prog metal, prog rock, symphonic rock. I mean, we're going to get into some examples. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me take a different stab at this. Okay. We came up with some characteristics. So let's use these definitions as temples, right? This is at least what I wrote down. We have instrumentation, which is like the selection of instruments and the playing proficiency. Right. We had compositional structure, key and time signature changes. How many do they have? What is the frequency of those changes? Song length. Mm-hmm. How do they do production, processing, reverb, things like that? Are there themes and concepts? Um, apparently, that's a big thing in Prague, right? As we already talked about, Prague is used as an adjective. And then one of the notes that I thought was interesting here is that it's typically not very commercial. I think that Tool and DT are a big exception to that, at least in our sphere. And, and they're commercial in quotes. Okay, that's a fair statement. You're going to have all of those characteristics that I just described as like an input. You don't need all of them to be prog. A lot of different amounts of gain if you want to be an engineer about it. But I think that that's maybe a good place for us to kind of spin off and start talking about these different bands and and musical dalliances of how those become prog and not alternative or straight ahead rock. Yeah. You know, I've been wrestling with all these different definitions too, and I don't disagree with any of those pipes you just brought up. For me, one of the key ones, it's Mm -hmm. anti-commercial. Okay. This is a point where I'm going to reference a Rick Beato YouTube video called Why Boomers Hate Pop Music, because I thought he made some excellent points about pop and rap music have monotonous time signatures, monotonous keys, monotonous instrumentation. And that's one of the reasons boomers get pushed away from pop music. And Mm -hmm. those same factors fuel some of the anti-commercial sentiments in Prague. You know, if you think about what the definition of the word progressive is, forget the insurance company and forget politics. It really means progressing past the status quo. Because the status is not quo. 
Yes. Well done. That goes to one of my first clips. I'm going to play Carnival 9 by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer from Brain Salad Surgery. That song comes out in November of 1973, and if you look at the number one hits at that time, it's Bad Bad Leroy Brown by Jim Croce, there's a couple of songs by Chicago like Feeling Stronger Every Day, Um, Marvin Gaye, Seals and Crofts. Mm -hmm. For me, that song is such an anti-commercial shock with Keith Emerson's virtuosity as classical influences, Mm -hmm. mapping all that onto synthesizers and organ, Carl Palmer's um, syncopation. For me, it just grabbed my ear and yanked me hard away from anything else that was going on in commercial music at that time. And not to make it an ELP commercial, but then you go and buy the album and listen to the rest of the album, and you're just like, holy crap, where did these guys come from? Right. Right. I think progressive music is going to naturally arise in a group of musicians, because if you think about your training, your music theory, I mean, everything that you've gone to school to learn and you're out there playing pop at a Holiday Inn, day in and day out, you're going to naturally want to start doing music that has more adventure in it, that challenges you more. What you said, the way I interpreted it in my head, was like this group of frustrated musicians. Yeah. I don't necessarily even see it that way. I think that if you look at a lot of these bands, like Caligula's Horse and Haken and Camelot and... Seventh Wonder and Arion and all of these guys, a lot of them know each other. And I wouldn't consider any of them frustrated musicians. But I think when you start to get an intellectual brain trust around anything, people start wanting to push the edge Mm -hmm. and push the boundaries. And that's exactly what Prague is to me. Gent guitar is a good example. So if you start seeing one band taking off, that can be something like, ooh, what is that? How do I imitate that? How can I incorporate that in a song? How can I take that to the next level? And I think it necessarily starts growing on itself, you know? Yeah. So we once talked about gent guitar. What does that sound like again? I've got a clip for you. That, you know, underneath it. Yeah, that syncopated. It's open palm muting. Oh, oh, okay. The rhythm guitar. Oh, you, you mean the junka, junka, junka? Yeah. Uh, oh, really? Okay. That was Fallout Boy. Mm. Now, that's to me is a, a great example of a band that isn't what I would call a prog band, but every now and then they drift into it and then back out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you think that's because they just got bored with their own status quo and they... I don't think it's people that sit around and go, oh, I'm going to go prog now. I think... I think it's just people that are writing music and like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's a wave function, you know, it just, it just drifts it, instead of a straight line. We, we very quickly got into more of a prog metal kind of thing. I don't disagree with Lee at all, but, you know, like as I was preparing samples that I might want to play, and I just started thinking about going back in time and like, what would I identify as prog 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago? A lot of the music that I was identifying didn't necessarily have gent guitar. They didn't have the syncopation and stuff like that, because that's very much a prog metal thing. But I even think about 15-ish years ago, the Mars Volta had a really great record, Amputecture. I definitely consider them a prog band. What was interesting on the point of commercial, though, Lee, is that I was subscribing to Sirius XM at the time. Viscera Eyes was a very popular single that was all over Sirius at the time, not just on the metal station, but also on the straight ahead rock station. That song to me, I mean, it's very complex structurally. Yeah. It's a well played song, but it's not virtuoso level. It changes 
time signature all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's well produced. By relative standards, it's an incredibly long song. It's nine and a half minutes long. Definitely not commercial. So it's, but it's kind of metal. Metal E. Except for the changing time signatures and the length and some amount of the virtuosity. I don't know. I would have put that in a prog rock category. And I, and I heard metal. I feel like we're, we're, we're drinking wine and uh, finding notes. Okay. That's a really great thing, because I agree with Lee here that that's more of a prog rock song to me, not necessarily a prog metal song. But that's just that's where you guys lean. The thing we kept coming back to when we were texting each other about this is the porn definition. Yeah. From Justice Potter in 1964, Supreme Court case reading, I shall not today attempt further to define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced, but I know it when I see it. The way people shorten that whole thing is, I can't give you a definition, but I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Right. And to me, a lot of this is in the ear of the beholder. So, you know, yeah. for where you're coming from, Craig, that sounded metal to you. To me and Tony, it didn't. But yeah, it's, it's going to be such a broad definition. People can read it differently. We, we, we probably have the same view on actual porn. <laughs> we probably do. You know, I want to take that and run with it a little bit. Yeah, go for it. And this is what we talked about when we were actually discussing that exact definition is that what I get out of that, that it's not just the content, it's also the context. If I see a naked woman in Playboy, I'm pretty sure that's pornography given the context. That's what that magazine's about. That's what people come to that magazine to expect. If I go to an art school and someone is painting a nude, I do not consider that pornography. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Hmm. How do you think that applies to Prague? Well, I think it goes to your point a bit about being a reaction to things and not being commercial. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I feel like that not commercial piece is definitely one of the spigots. Yeah. So here's where I want to go back to the talking about Tool for a moment. Tool, I definitely consider a prog band. They're a prog metal band, but they're prog. Mm-hmm. They are very popular even outside of our prog circles. In fact, they are so popular that like, I often hear people talk about those douchebag Tool fans, right? Like they actually look down on Tool fans. Hmm. And Maynard Keenan, to his credit, likes to poke a lot of fun at those people. In fact, he wrote a song about it called Hooker with a Penis. God, more porn. I tell you what, <laughs> take a shower, Tony. In part of the refrain, I don't have the exact lyrics up in front of me right now, but he basically says, you accuse me of selling out, but I sold out a long time ago. Uh-huh. And then you bought what I sold you. Yeah. I don't think that that takes away any of the credibility of them being a prog band, but I do want to acknowledge that they are a prog band, but they also have popularity. So I don't think it's mutually exclusive with the commercial aspect. Yeah, and a prog band, they have to, you got to eat, right? Well, and yeah. then there's the whole thing that Lee and I call Dream Theater Inc. It's not so much the popularity. I don't mind if Tool's popular, Dream Theater's popular, or Kansas, or whoever it is, if they're doing music that's interesting in a certain style. So, Craig, one of the things I wanted to ask you, let's look at a couple of bands that were relatively contemporary with one another and how some things happened here. So, mm-hmm. if we look at early Genesis, which I know you're a fan of, you have Peter Gabriel, who leaves and has a solo career. Very good, popular, but he's very much considered a pop artist. Mm-hmm. At about the same time, we have Marillion with Fish, and then Fish also leaves and has a relatively successful solo career. But then when we look at how the Prague community engages with them, just last month, Fish was on the cover of Prague Magazine about his current work. Mm-hmm. When Peter Gabriel has been featured in Prague Magazine, it was about his Genesis work and like a little bit around right between Genesis and his solo career starting. Mm-hmm. So how do artists, Fish and Peter Gabriel here, who are very similar in many ways with artistic vision, voice even, how does one go in a very pop direction and the other maintains kind of sort of these roots in Prague? I, I've been thinking a lot about that, and I can't really speak as much to Fish. Mm-hmm. But in the Peter Gabriel world and the Genesis world, when he left Genesis, there was a lot of creative tension between him and Tony Banks. Even though Tony was the virtuoso composer of much of the music, the vision of the lyrics and kind of the stage show and what people came to identify as Genesis, 
was Peter Gabriel. And Peter Gabriel had enough, so they split. But I think in the Peter Gabriel case, he surrounds himself with great musicians that help him realize his artistic vision. Now, I hear that stuff, and I think that it's Prague, but that's just because that's the lens that I look at Peter Gabriel through. Right. So songs are kind of short. Um, They follow a traditional song structure. Uh, Virtuosity is really by nature of the musicians that he has rather than them playing, you know, ELP level music. He's an artist and his, his medium is music and he surrounds himself with great musicians that help him realize that vision. I am a huge fish fan now. I am still coming up to speed on a lot of the fish era Marillion and some of Fish's solo work. But as I understand it, there was a similar creative split. I think that Fish era Marillion sounds very different than Steve Hogarth uh, era Marillion. I wouldn't say that it's exactly the same as Peter Gabriel era Genesis to Phil Collins era Genesis, because Phil Collins era Genesis went leaned in heavily to pop. And I don't think that Marillion has ever done that. But the sound is different. If you talk about these like six or seven spigots that all go in and any one song or any one album is going to have a mix of those and not all of them necessarily. Right. This is one thing where I think you and Craig see Prague a little differently than I do, is that for you, that performance piece is really a high value in that spigot. Mm -hmm. But like if I just saw Peter Gabriel doing a performance and the rest of the music style didn't fit, I don't call that Prague. And you guys might. Mm -hmm. I think you guys value that spigot way more than I do. The performance piece, you mean? The performance piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you guys ever seen Peter Gabriel in concert? Just on videos. Yeah, just on videos. They're like Broadway shows almost. And I like going to Broadway shows, but I would never call them prog. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. So we, talk, we got into the topic of talking about art rock. Yeah. Because sometimes prog rock starts going down this vein of being called art rock. Right. The definition from the art rock Wikipedia page, the term may sometimes be used interchangeably with progressive rock, though the latter, i.e. progressive rock, is instead characterized in particular by its employment of classically trained instrumental technique and symphonic textures. And then the article eventually goes on to mention musical auteurs, and I'm not going to get into who they classified as an auteur, but what I want to focus on here is the concept of an auteur in music absolutely, and link that back to people like Peter Gabriel, who have an artistic vision, like they are crafting something. It just happens to be in a musical vein. I've always like really shied away from the art rock yeah. adjective because to me, it's always been used as sort of a sappy tag on bands that don't quite hit prog. But I've really realized how much I came to love the progressive umbrella, if you will, by listening to some art rock bands. So here's an example. That song is Time Waits for No One by Ambrosia from their first album. Uh-huh. And that band is pretty well known for a lot of soft rock 80s pop hits. Sure. But there is a lot of prog in Ambrosia music that I really caught on to early. That doesn't have a metal vein. Uh-huh. Even though it's got rock in it, it's really got a lot more orchestration in it, things like that. And to me, I would put this in a category called art rock. Really? Yeah. And now I've kind of embraced it. It's not in the vein of Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, or Yes, or even Frost, or It Bites, or some of the other prog rock bands, but it's definitely progressive to me. See, when I think of art rock, I think of like Roxy Music. I think of David Bowie. I think of now Peter Gabriel and Brian Ferry. And there's a lot of Roxy Music I like. You know, I think Craig makes a good point. I would definitely put Bowie in art rock okay but i would never put bowie in prog rock so i didn't really realize art rock existed until we started talking about it a little bit ago actually some of his older stuff there's a couple songs on space oddity 
Well, that's actually a very good point, because all the Ziggy Stardust, all that, it definitely has a very longer-term vision to it that goes across multiple albums. I feel like David Bowie is kind of an auteur. You know, what did he do? He, you know, changed his personality for every album. He always had a different view of what it needed to be. When someone approaches music that way, I just think of them more as artist first, then musician. We keep saying prog here. But if you, as you said in the very beginning, Craig, if we're talking about progressing, then I would totally accept that definition of Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. Pushing the boundaries. Pushing Mm -hmm. the boundaries. Yeah. Pushing it more in an artistic direction Mm -hmm. than a rock direction. A lot of the music that I really resonate with is I have not ever found a a concept record I haven't enjoyed. The view of having a, a vision for a record that comes from having a concept record, but I think that's different than something like what Bowie does, where yes, he has some concept records that you start us um, outside comes to mind. But whenever you think about Bowie, like you know you're getting a whole thing together and like he has his stamp all over the whole record and it's cohesive. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And that was one of the things that came up in the art rock definition I was reading earlier is that there's this focus in art rock beyond just singles and tracks and to like the album being the thing. And specifically it's the music and how the music is put together and then how the music is packaged and, and how it's delivered. What does the liner notes look like? What does the artwork look like? And that even came up recently as I was sharing some of the artwork with you guys from the new fish record. I guess the part that I disagree with is I think you can be prog on a single song. I don't think it has to have a vision across a whole album. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've come around to that. Yeah. And a good example that I have of that is actually after talking to you guys, Discipline by King Crimson. I like that song a lot. I think it's well constructed. But then I think it was Craig, you were telling me about like how the guitar and bass lines complement one another. And like, I think it's the bass line as like a note or two shorter so that they not not only do they have different time signatures, they have multiple time signatures at the same time. Right. That's one track. But based on those things, like how it's constructed, how it's played, all of that, that is a prog song for me all day long. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Virtuosity. Uh, weird song structure. It's long by pop st- standards, but it's not a particularly long track. It's only five minutes. Right. I think there's another piece that we missed, and that is you can't dance to it. <laughs> Maybe you can, and then it becomes the Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> How hard is it to dance to? In summary, what I would like to bring us back to is let's, let's look at some of the characteristics that we gave. We have some of these general characteristics that m- most prog music is going to have, things like composition or the instrumentation or the virtuosity of the players, those kinds of things. And then we had this more ephemeral thing of how Prague is pushing the boundaries of maybe pop music or rock music, and it's trying to grow beyond. It's, it's out at the edges and the fringes. There's also this performance piece about how things are put together from a presentation perspective and maybe a little bit into that art rock definition of like that vision from an auteur perspective. All of those things go together. I don't think a prog piece or a prog band has all of them all the time. But I think if you're listening to a band for the first time or you're coming to prog for the first time, those things should be the things that are jumping out at you uh, in order to make a determination about whether or not what you're listening to is prog. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not new to it, I still think it's valid to uh, you know consider the porn definition. We, we know it when we hear it. I knew you would take it back to porn. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the important thing is there, it's not just content, it's context. Yes. Right. That's a lot of what this is. It's, it's context. Yep. All right, guys. So let's try something here. We spent this entire episode trying to define what Prague is. And I think that examples are a great way of doing that because this is so subjective and context-driven. Yep. But let's play a little game called Prog Not Prog. And basically what we'll do here is we'll give a sample of something and then get the feedback from the other folks about, like, does that sound like prog to me or does that not sound like prog to me? 
All right. So this first one is an artist I'm pretty sure we have never talked about on the show. Tony, we're gonna we're gonna do a little uh, OK Boomer with you here. Um, <laughs> so, are you familiar with Jeff Beck? Only a little bit. Back in the seventies, Jeff Beck came out with two albums: one Wired and one Blow by Blow. Uh, this one is Blow by Blow, and it's basically a three piece. I think, yeah, it's uh, bass, drums, and guitar. Oh, you know who produced it? Who? George Martin. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, and uh, and then the other one is Wired, which had Jan Hammer, who was famous from Miami Vice yeah. uh, soundtrack. And they're just two just dynamite, dynamite albums. They're really just... Max Middleton is such a great... I loved how he played so the roads. Oh, my God. He is the... T- he was my piano. idol on electric piano. No doubt. No doubt. Definitely Prague. Definitely prog. Why? When I used to listen, I used to call this fusion. Me too. And before we had a prog definition... And to me, those that pair of albums, Wired and Blow by Blow, that went along with Return to Forever, Romantic Warrior, Al Di Miola. There was a bunch of stuff in there that, sure. to me, was just straight ahead. Now I would probably call it progressive jazz. Yeah. It, virtuosity, length of mm-hmm. songs, yeah. very, very tasty composition. Tony? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and what really was getting it for me was the building complexity of the track. Good point. Yeah. Like as soon as that started to happen, I was like, this is definitely a prog track. You've got to, you you have to listen to the whole album. It's a great album. Excellent. Um, Do I do one more? And uh, now that I think about it, both of those songs uh, had a lot of the same elements at the beginning, just a shitload of notes. But the difference between that one and this one is this is a super long one that has a very chill uh, violin and guitar thing. You guys know what that what this song is, by the way? It's Dixie Dregs. We can see your screen. Oh, shit. <laughs> 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 uh, it's funny. This is where context is going to be really important for me. If that song had leaned into a bunch of banjo, it would not be prog at all. I think that it's prog, but borderline leaning more to the art rock. Ooh, interesting. That's interesting. Lee? The first half of that clip you played to me, definitely prog. Mm-hmm. Second part, I was kind of didn't know where it was going. So um, to, to Tony's point, I guess you're right. That would be context. So it heads into a Kansas sounding thing. It does, yeah, very Kansas sound. The very first time I heard Dixie Dregs, it was this song, and I thought, is that Kansas? And the song itself is 7 minutes and 37 seconds. It has a lot of uh, virtuosity, all instrumental, multiple parts. So I would argue, based on our rules, it um, does satisfy many of the spigots going into the thing are, are cranked up. Uh, and then having said that, not everything uh, Dixie Dregs do is prog. Right. Yeah. All right. I can take a stab at this. So the first one, I'm going to give you a lead in, and then I'm going to let you listen to it. The song is by a band called Iced Earth. The name of the song is Dante's Inferno. And for those that are familiar with Iced Earth out there, this is the 2011 version. This song has a ton of different movements. It's about 20 minutes long. A lot of different tempo changes, key changes, and things like that throughout the bulk of the song. It has a very strong theme about uh, Dante's Inferno and Virgil and all of that. It's got a lot of production value in it. There, there's some um, pseudo Gregorian chants in the middle of it. I'll play a couple different segments of this song, and you tell me if this meets your criteria for Prague. Through the fiery caverns we say at 
you guys, would you consider that prog? Much like you and the Dixie Dreg song, I felt like the beginning was proggy and it got kind of metal. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say not prog. Okay, what do you say, Lee? And then I, I have a couple of comments. Definitely the heavier stuff was definitely prog metal. Um, the growl vocals, the gent guitar, a lot of the double bass. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just prog metal. The clips in the middle are interesting because those could have come from a lot of different kinds of songs. Okay. Iced Earth has never made a claim to be a prog metal band or a prog band at all. They're just a speed slash thrash metal band. Hmm. This is probably the longest track that they've ever released. As a fan of that band, I would never, ever, ever categorize this as prog. And I think a lot of that comes back to context of what we were talking about is what is this band about? Right. This band is not about prog. This band is about speed metal. And this happens to be an aberration. Interesting. You just made the point of context really, really well. Yeah. Because just listening to short little clips, you can't tell what the context is. Right. Having said that, if this is an aberration, it almost satisfies the definition of it is prog relative to what they usually do because they're pushing out of their normal boundaries. So that's a 2011 version of the song. This song was originally on an album in the mid nineties. I don't remember exactly what year that album came out. So everything else around that has not been like this. This song is kind of an Island in terms of their catalog. So the next one I'm going to play is by the band Nightwish. And this song is 24 minutes long. It has very distinct movements. It, again, has strong production, very good playing. I don't know if I would put the playing at virtuoso level, but very good composition. And this is the song, The Greatest Show on Earth. And so at this part, at the very end, it's closing with a monologue by Richard Dawkins about the nature of evolution. In that one, a lot of the things that we have put as our pipes into the definition of prog are there. Craig, is that a prog song to you? Yes. Okay. First of all, it's long, has a lot of, uh, a lot of different changes in structures. It felt like prog. That's- and Lee, what about you? Excellent composition. I really like the orchestration. That took a hell of a lot of work. I would put that in a symphonic kind of a prog category mm-hmm. or symphonic rock category, which, you know, I'm cheating here a little bit because I know some Nightwish, but, but yeah, to me, that's prog. That's a very interesting take. I don't know if in my brain, I still consider that prog. The reason for that is because in my head, there is still symphonic metal. And I think in a future episode, we should probably get into do the symphonic bands count as mm-hmm. prog. Right. Uh, but, you know, in my head for right now, as I'm sitting here, I still have them in a different bucket, but I could could be open to them being considered prog based on that definition. All right. So, Lee, what do you got for us? No tea up. All right. You just get to listen. Do it. Tony, Prague, not Prague. I don't know. That's hard. Um, my gut says yes, but my brain says no. Uh, why yes and why no? Yes, because of the structure and the sample that I heard. 
Right. But if I listen to the entire piece and it was that same segment over and over and it becomes predictable, then it would just be more rock. Okay. Context. Context. Again, makes a huge difference. Craig. I feel like three seconds into that, that was a prog song. Just because of the instrumentation, the style of it, it felt very not like something I'd heard before. Cool. Um, so yeah, prog. That's Toto. Really? Toto does a lot of things that qualify as prog. To me, that's an example of bands that can come in and out. And to me, that is a prog song. Okay, let's do this one. This one will throw you. Craig. I was going to say not prog until that very last chord that was like a major third up or something. Why did the power chord make it prog? I was listening to it. I was trying to talk myself out of it being a pop song. The vocal stylings were like not country. Okay. Uh, It was prog, but like lowercase p. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Interesting. Tony. Yeah, I mean, I was with Craig at the very beginning. It sounded very proggy. And then when the vocals really came in in the middle, it went to a really simple bass line, drum line. Right. And it sounded very like 80s synth pop to me. Yeah. That's actually what took away the prog for me. Everything else around that part was very prog sounding to me. But then as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be like any other 80s band. Okay. This band is Conspiracy. It's a side project that was formed by Chris Squire and Billy Sherwood, Hmm. both with huge progressive ties, both to Yes and Asia. And when it first was announced, I ran out to buy it thinking it would be a huge prog album. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't. To me, it's an example of bands that can drop out of prog. And so I'm still kind of torn about this song, whether it is or isn't. All right. So that was prog, not prog, guys. That was actually really, really fun. Um, so for you guys out there that are listening, if you enjoyed that, let us know. Um, hit us up on Twitter or in our email and uh, let us know if you'd like us to bring that back in the future. Personally, I really like picking my samples in addition to listening to yours because I was like, I want to have some that I can kind of trip them up on kind of thing. Right, right. Exactly. Any parting notes for what is prog tonight before we get into our outros? I think one of the points that really came strong is that context matters. Context does matter. And this was a lot of fun, just tackling a big, uh, a big topic. And it's fun to capture like a religious political discussion like this and be okay not really having a concrete answer. Yeah. What sums this up for me is that you know, this is really what our text threads feel like. We all kind of go at each other a little bit. I mean, it's a good spirited, but we don't always agree on everything. Right. We have different opinions, and I think that that's what I get the most out of this relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. It's a learning experience. You guys have taught me a lot. And I, I really like the the prog, not prog. So I am interested to hear what the listeners think. But definitely hit us up on Twitter, uh, always at we're at UP3 show on Twitter. And let us know if you liked it, didn't like it, if you'd like to hear more of it, or if you've got other bands that you think could straddle that line and you'd like us to take a stab at figuring out if they're prog or not prog. That's a great idea. Get it from your listeners and do it live. I'd love to do that. Yeah, I, I would love to do that too. Yeah, send us some ideas. That'd be great. As we exit, don't forget, you can find us on Twitter at UP3Show or contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. If you want to show support, it's easy. Don't forget to subscribe on the Podbean at UP3Show.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please take a few moments and leave us a review. This will help make sure that our show pops up to the top of the recommendations whenever other people search for prog podcasts. Thanks. And we'll talk to you next time, guys. Hey folks, Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations. You're getting every ounce you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We are in no way claiming the copyright of any music found in our samples and strongly recommend that you support these artists by buying their material or seeing them live. 
If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together. Thanks, guys.